Hello, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Life finds a way, doesn't it? That's true. Viva finds a way, doesn't it, sometimes? <laughs> sometimes you have a week where it's just the stars don't really align. The stars are scattered hither and yon. But you still find time to do a podcast recording, don't you? You know, you have to. You have to. You can't depend on astrology all the time when scheduling your podcast and recordings. The people are counting the on people us. People need it. They don't care if you're. Ter- if it's a Pisces moon. If it's a Pisces moon. If Aquarius is in retrograde, get the get out of here. You got to do your show, mm-hmm. don't you? Mm-hmm. Now there's a loophole because they don't say how long the show has to be. So we could knock out a tenner, which is what we in the business call a 10-minute long episode, but we won't do that to you. Listen, thank you all for waiting on us for this late episode. I feel like we've been a little tardy lately, and, uh, you know, shit's getting a little wild over here. Mm -hmm. Shit's getting a little out of control, but, you know, it's out of control everywhere. We're here. We're going to talk about things that we like. We're We're fine. Don't worry about us. Griffin maybe made you worry about us. Don't worry about us. We're fine. No, no. I mean, I got a headache, and I want the people to pray. Okay, worry about Griffin's headache. Pray for that. And uh, we're going to talk about stuff we like, things we're into. Do you have any small wonders, please? I would like to talk about my snack of late, which really takes me back uh, to my youth, and that is a cup of butterscotch pudding with some Cool Whip on top. You have been eating this <laughs> nightly. It's my evening treat. It's your evening come down cocktail that you've been imbibing with eating uh, every single night. Yeah, I recommend it. I don't know what it is exactly about it that I am enjoying so much, but it is cool. Yeah. It is a cool treat. Uh, and uh, it makes me feel like I'm a, just a comfortable, happy 10-year-old. Mm. It makes me feel that way, too, watching you eat it. I feel like I'm back in the school lunchroom being very jealous of a dessert that somebody else is eating. <laughs> What is your small wonder? Uh, Lovecraft Country on uh, yeah. HBO. Uh, it shows like Wicked right up my alley. It uh, It... It dabbles in a lot of sort of Lovecraftian cosmic horror stuff while also it's very spooky, but it also sort of reckons with the inherent, like oftentimes explicit racism of H.P. Lovecraft and his work. Uh, It like really gets into it in the first episode in in some very explicit ways, Um, but it also tackles it. It tackles Lovecraftian cosmic horror through the lens of like mid-century segregation and Jim Crow like laws and like it 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 does it blends those two concepts into something that is so powerful and so terrifying and also because it is based on sort of an anthology short story anthology like uh book uh the episodes are just out there man like the first two episodes are like wow I know what this show's about and then the second episode ends and you're like oh wait I have no fucking idea what this show's about and then the yeah. third episode is something completely different yeah the second episode i was like wow well they resolved that i don't know what the rest of the show is about and then the third uh, yeah. episode a whole new a whole new adventure uh it's got journey smollett in it who yeah. uh was in friday night lights and in that third episode she puts on like a absolutely staggering like it's all i've been talking about to our friends like you have to watch this show just to watch journey smollett like tear the fucking house down in the third yeah. episode it's really good uh, but it also might not be everybody's cup of tea because it's also horrific and gory and uh, yeah, wild man. But it's good. It's good. Do you, what's your first big thing though? My first thing. Dust off your beret. Oh my god, are we going back? It's the poetry corner. <laughs> <laughs> That's me dusting the beret. <laughs> wow. It's really big. 
It's like a Gallagher prop. And I'm also dusting it off against a big snare drum. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do the song. Okay. That's fine. I have this headache. I don't know if you heard. <laughs> it's the talk of the town. That's fine. Uh, the poet I want to talk about this week is Ada Lamone. Uh, she is a poet currently practicing, uh, living in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and I have only recently become familiar with her. How, so, how, how have you done so? Are you on the, are you on the circuit? Are you on the poetry well, let me, subreddit? Let me be honest with you. So um, I have talked about pretty much all of my favorite poets at this point on this show. Interesting. So occasionally I just have to dip in and see who is out there doing good work today that I didn't know about. And this is one of those. Okay. I'm glad. Are you expanding your your horizons and therefore expanding mine dramatically mm-hmm. and our listeners? Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, she is a poet, received her MFA from NYU in 2001. Uh, and she, uh, has written, what is it? Five, five collections of poems. Uh, the most recent one called The Carrying that came out in 2018. Okay. Um, so this is, this is hot off the presses. Yeah, she is. I mean, she's, she's out there today. She's not that much older than me either. She is, uh, she's a young poet, I will say confidently. Wow. (laughs) Um, and I just, I found her 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 voice is very clear she's um part of the reason i found her is i was looking for more poets like billy collins which i have brought to the show yeah just like i am telling you a story that is heartfelt and beautifully written and uh it is accessible to all yeah. so i wanted to share the poem that i read recently that i really liked called the raincoat all right and this is from her most recent collection the caring the raincoat When the doctor suggested surgery and a brace for all my youngest years, my parents scrambled to take me to massage therapy, deep tissue work, osteopathy, and soon my crooked spine unspooled a bit. I could breathe again and move more in a body unclouded by pain. My mom would tell me to sing songs to her the whole 45-minute drive to Middle Two Rock Road and 45 minutes back from physical therapy. She'd say, even my voice sounded unfettered by my spine afterward. So I sang and sang because I thought she liked it. I never asked her what she gave up to drive me or how her day was before this chore. Today, at her age, I was driving myself home from yet another spine appointment, singing along to some maudlin but solid song on the radio, and I saw a mom take her raincoat off and give it to her young daughter when a storm took over the afternoon. My God, I thought, my whole life I've been under her raincoat, thinking it was somehow a marvel. My God, I thought. My whole life, I've been under her raincoat thinking it was somehow a marvel that I never got wet. That's really good. I mean, you know I love a good last line. I know you do. <laughs> I also know you're you're uh, quite susceptible to parental uh, uh, poems about uh, being parent and having parent, uh, being as you are one now. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I've talked about it on this show, like, um, I am not somebody, I think, that, like, built my whole life around having children. Sure. And I always feel a little uncomfortable when people present themselves as, like, this is the best thing I've ever done. You know, my yeah, life is I all know. about this, 100%. This is who I am. I was born to do this. You know, that that kind of talk has always made me uncomfortable because I've always had, you know, a lot of ambitions for myself. Right, of course. Um. 
But I think, you know, the experience of parenting has made me look back at my experience of being a child more too. Uh, and I just found that like such a powerful, a powerful th- way of, of phrasing that, this idea that there is so much that exists within your own parents' life when you're a child that you know nothing about. Right. Uh, and then as when you become a parent yourself, it's something that you think about a lot more. And the phrasing of that uh, at the end just like just really struck me. Yeah. Um, and and I just I feel like her approach to writing, if you read more of her poems, is very similar to Billy Collins and that like I am just telling you a story mm-hmm. and then I I am revealing to you as it revealed to me like what the significance of this story is. Um, and I read this interview that she gave in Columbia Journal. Somebody had asked her of like, you know, how do you write? What is the most important thing about writing? What are skills that you need to develop? Um, and she said, your writing wants you to widen your gaze and see the world fully. Your writing wants you to be tender and vulnerable to the world. That's hard to do if self-care isn't involved. Mm. Um, she, she's very much one of those writers that's like, Hey, there are times when I don't feel like writing. And so I don't write, you know, I don't have like a certain process or a scheduled way to do it that I really hold myself to. Uh, it's just about tenacity. It's just about going back and doing it and trying to take care of yourself and and recognize that like the truly good poems are the ones for her when she really is is available to it. Yeah. Um, which is something that I had a lot of trouble with and continue to have trouble with after I I finished you know my creative writing program of just like how do I do this and now that it's just for me? Yeah. You know? Well, I also really like the the conversation that I feel like has really ignited this year of like separating, like romanticizing suffering and its place in art. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, because I feel like it's like when stay at home orders like started to happen back in what, like late, late March or so. And I remember like there were like a handful of people like trying to start this conversation, like think of the art that's going to come out of this year. And like <laughs> the other 99.9% of the population of earth was like, shut the fuck up. Like yeah. that is, that is not the thing to be thinking about right now. Like that is, that, that is not what this is about. And I think it's just a lot of people get their start in, in creative work in like from a place of like isolation, you know, when you're like a teenager, you're like, I'm going to go write in my journal. Yeah. Or I'm going to go write a song. Like I'm, I'm feeling terrible and this is going to be my outlet as an adult. That just doesn't seem to no. work as well. No, not quite. <laughs> that was really good. That Thank was a very you. good poem. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for bringing it. Yeah. Uh, I've been dreading now, actually my first topic. Both of mine are fairly lightweight this week, I'll be honest. They're, okay, they're, my second one's lightweight. Okay, cool. Well, my first one is uh, RC cars. <laughs> I could have, there's probably a lot of people out there who, when I said RC, were wondering if I was going to talk about RC Cola. Yeah. I could do RC Cola. I'm from Appalachia. Like, we drank RC Cola there in, in large amounts. Was that a thing where you grew up, RC Cola? Uh, it was a thing when I would go to my grandparents' house in small town, Illinois. Okay. So maybe they always just... would have it in their fridge they had in the garage. Oh, okay. See, like every vending machine in Huntington, I feel like, had like RC Cola and its derivatives in it. I still like an RC Cola. I'll go to restaurants sometimes. It'll be like Coke or Pepsi. I'll be RC Cola. <laughs> 
This restaurant that has Coke and Pepsi, by the way, does not exist anyway. <laughs> RC Cars, RC Cars. Uh, I b- was confused. RC is interchangeably used with remote controlled and radio controlled, but technically it's like a Venn diagram where remote controlled vehicles or objects can use you know infrared or whatever like there's all kinds of different like sort of ways of transmitting a signal but radio controlled cars is like sort of the standard of uh rc cars especially when you start getting into the high end of the rc car world yeah. uh it is like rc cars are the only type of toy that like when i see henry playing with it i get like jealous and i'm like i, I want to be is it i remember one time i went and saw my cousins playing with an RC car, and I thought, like, I have to have one I of want those. that, yeah. Uh, he got one for Christmas from one of his uncles, uh, you know, Justin and Travis. I don't know why I just said one of his uncles. It was Travis. Uh, it was Travis, and it was like a tumbling sort of uh, wagon that can mm-hmm. just kind of, like, roll all around, and no matter which way it lands, it goes. And he was, like, playing with it, and I was like, I want that. I'm, <laughs> I'm 33. I want that. I want to play with that. Uh, and I think there's just something so uh, alluring about it, mostly because like uh, we didn't have RC cars really growing up because there were three of us, meaning we all three need our own RC car. Uh, and that's too many RC cars to have in one house. Like it's a definite hazard at that point. Um, and as I like became an adult, I feel like remote control car technology got like so much better and so much faster and cooler and like i wasn't able to take part in it so now when i see a good rc car i'm like damn that looks like fun and i guess the logical extension of this is drones like i think that's probably why drones are such a thing is because there's a lot of like adult drone enthusiasts who didn't get their rc car fix as a kid and now the rc cars can fly and take pictures and shit (laughs) yeah and I'm like lukewarm on drones, except for drone racing, which I still think is hot as hell. And I'll watch like videos of drones. I didn't know race. that was a thing. Oh my God. It's like these little tiny drones and they go at like 80 miles an hour. Like they just like zip and you have to fly them through like a factory in first person view. It's like wild. Uh, but anyway, RC cars, uh, there are separate sort of tiers of accessibility. There's really two tiers of RC cars when you're talking about uh, a, a radio controlled uh, automobile. There's toy grade cars, which is, you know, what it says on the tin. Uh, and then there are hobbyist grade cars. Uh, toy cars are, you, you know, things you would get at Target or Walmart or whatever on, on a shelf uh, for a kid. They they cap out at like five miles an hour on the low end, but like a really beefy toy grade uh, RC car would go up to like 15 miles an hour, which is still pretty fast, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a car, a RC car going 15 runs into your ankle like that's your day i feel like at that (laughs) point uh but to give you an idea of this distinction between toy grade and hobby grade uh hobby grade cars usually come in these kits they are dramatically more expensive than a toy grade car uh and they are also dramatically faster the most sort of like commonly accessible i mean you could find an outlier of like what's the fastest land speed rc car from somebody who like you know strapped a rocket or whatever onto their shit um but there is a kit called the X01 from a company called Traxxas that uh, apparently is big in the hobbyist RC scene. Uh, it costs 1100 US dollars American, and it is capable of going uh, up to 100 miles an hour. Oh, my God. That's very fast. Yes. That's quite fast. That's- One of those runs into your ankle is goodbye ankle. 
yeah, no, that that is faster than I am allowed to drive as a person That's in the fast, world. Yeah, in my big car in with big gasoline car. in it yeah. and stuff. Uh, well, apparently, some cars are powered by gas, uh, not in the same not in the same sort of combustion engine way that our cars are powered by gas. But uh, electric cars cap out at like a certain amount of of torque. Uh, and so, like a nitro-powered car can get pretty freaking fast as uh, as me. things go. Uh, that scares me. That yes. I would. I don't know that I would be comfortable driving a, a thing that fast. But like this hobbyist scene is so huge, uh, and it has been for a while. Uh, the first RC cars were invented in 1966. Uh, the first one was a miniature gas-powered Ferrari. And while like the you know technology of the engine and everything has changed in the same way that car technology has advanced throughout the years. Uh, the way that you, like the receiver setup is essentially the same. Like the, you use a radio transmitter controller with the throttle and steering mechanism on it. And then there's a receiver in the car and that's it. Uh, there, this big scene has been around for basically as long as it's, they've, the cars have been around. Uh, RC car action magazine is still in circulation after 35 years in print. Like, there's still a lot of people who are very, very into RC cars. I just think it's kind of magical to control something remotely. We have a, we have a little, uh, uh, like, R2 unit that we got from the Star Wars park uh, <laughs> at, uh, at, at Disney World last time we went that Henry put together. Uh, and I love playing with that thing. Partially because, like, I think it's kind of cool to make something move around remotely, but also because when I'm feeling like a lazy dad... I can kind of just like make the <laughs> robot move around for me, uh, and and that's cool. And it's fun to chase the child around with the little robot and make intimidating sounds with it, not to scare him, <laughs> but to play with him. Uh, yeah, RC cars are cool. They are cool. They are cool, aren't they? Always. They're always so cool. You know what else is cool? Uh, advertisements. Can I steal you away? Yes. Okay. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be 
the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Styles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can you can sell? Uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain we have Jumbotron. Oh, good. Oh, come here, little Jumbotron. Oh, don't be scared. I have some feed for you. I'll hold it in my hand, little Jumbotron. Don't be scared. I'll brush your soft plumage. Do you want to read the first one? <laughs> sure. Uh, this message is for Lon. It is from Linny. My dearest Lon, you and our four kitties make my life so full. I'm so happy that we're actually legally wives. You roast the best coffee, make that good popcorn, and always do the laundry. You're the best writer, and I can't wait to read your book someday. Until then, I look forward to D&D, stargazing, and always being silly. Love, Linny. Gotta know this good popcorn recipe. <laughs> gotta know it i don't know that i've ever eaten homemade popcorn that wasn't like out of a bag or something where i was like whoa what did you do to this popcorn where the yeah. answer wasn't just like i put it in the put it in the microwave we have dabbled in the purchase of gourmet popcorn but have of never oh, never made it ourselves it was a wedding favor it mm -hmm. was the wedding favor at our wedding well of course yeah. we got married in austin texas so we legally had to involve mason jars <laughs> in some way but we filled those mason jars up with good ass what was it cornucopia is yeah. that the name of the, the company it was yeah. dill we gave out dill pickle and what was the other flavor? I'm not going to remember. I will remember. It was something. It was something smoky. It was like a smoky cheddar. I want to say. I think it was like smoked cheddar and dill pickle popcorn. It was so fucking good. Mm -hmm. And also, no, like we had like 30 jars of it left over, and so we ate that popcorn for <laughs> in our months. Tiny jars and our little tiny one jar at a time. It was very wasteful. I don't remember what we ended up doing with the empty mason jars. I mean, we saved some and then we recycled others. It's not yeah. really a story. Now, I guess not. Uh, <laughs> here is another one. This one is for Celeste and it's from Zakai who says, to my sweetest blep and the most badass lady scientist. By now, we've spent more than half our marriage stuck at home. So there's no one else I'd rather be with. I love you so much. And so do the cats, even when you lovingly call them horrible names that I don't want to pay Griffin and Rachel to repeat. All our love, Zakai, Squeakums, and Doi. Got it. Now I want to know about these names. Do you think it's something like? And I don't want. I don't want to be rude or say bad words or anything. But do you think it says something like little stinker or jerk? Little jerk. Mm. Hey you. Hey you. Don't you dink? <laughs> get back here, Griffin. I hate when you use that kind I'm of language. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Now we're gonna get the explicit tag on iTunes. Hey Jay Keith. Hey Helen. Hey, you've got another true false quiz for me. Yep. Our trivia podcast, Go Fact Yourself, used to be in front of a live audience. True. Turns out that's not so safe anymore. Correct. Next. Unfortunately, this means we can no longer record the show. False. The show still comes out every first and third Friday of the month. Correct. Fine. 
finally, we still have great celebrity guests answering trivia about things they love on every episode of Go Fact Yourself. Definitely true. And for bonus points, name some of them. Recently, we've had uh, Ophira Eisenberg, plus tons of surprise experts like Yardley Smith and Suzanne Summers. Perfect score. Woo-hoo. You can hear Go Fact Yourself every first and third Friday of the month with all the great guests and trivia that we've always had. And if you don't listen, well, then you can go fact yourself. That's the name of our podcast. Correct. Woo! Hey, what's your second thing? That's uh, I, hear, I hear it's very lightweight and silly. <laughs> well, I gave you a little hint Uh-oh. at this last night um, because it came up. We were playing a game and the question was, what is something that Rachel thinks that younger people uh, don't appreciate? Oh, my gosh. You're I'm, going there. I'm talking about the rise and fall of the belly button ring. What? Okay. I Sometimes it's important to lay out the context of how we appreciate the things we talk about on the show. Because sometimes it's like, when I talk about like Gak, I'm not, I'm 33 years old. I'm not slinging Gak <laughs> now, but uh-huh. I appreciated Gak back in the day. Uh-huh. Are you saying that when you see a belly button ring out on the street now, you're like, oh, choice. Or are you saying it is wonderful that the belly button ring was a phenomenon for a bit. I, I think it was wonderful for me that it was a phenomenon. It was it was interesting like to be a teen. Yeah. Right in the time period when that was huge. Yeah. And to feel like it was a thing that everybody had an opinion on of like whether or not they were going to get one. And the teens that were able to get one with their parents like consent at a at a young age, yes, and then the people like me who waited until I turned eighteen and then immediately went and got it because yeah. it was my it was my signpost. Literally every everybody I went to high school, like every girl I went to high school with, got belly yeah. buttons. I feel uh-huh. like, like ver- ver- I'm I'm trying to think back. Most of the most of the girls I dated like had belly button rings. Yeah. Uh, I, I seriously everybody, everybody. Uh-huh. I'm thinking about it now, and it's like the Da Vinci Code. Like all of these pieces are falling <laughs> into place in my mind. Like holy shit, everyone had one of these, and now no one's got one. <laughs> well, we shouldn't say no one. There's probably listeners of our yeah. show who still got their belly button rings, but like, yeah, it was wildly ubiquitous. I don't think the teens are doing it. I don't think they're racing out to do it the way that we all did. Okay. Um, I actually it was funny <laughs> when I wrote for the school newspaper. I wrote a whole piece on like censorship. And part of what I wrote about was this girl on the cheerleading team who got a belly button ring and got kicked off because what? they weren't allowed. Yes, I know. I like interviewed her. And then my journalism teacher was so excited about my, my piece of journalism. He made me submit it to this competition. And it, it was not selected. Ah, beans. <laughs> uh, I imagine there were people facing larger issues <laughs> than a, uh, yeah, of course. somebody getting kicked off a team for a belly button ring. But uh, what was interesting is when I was doing the research on it, just to kind of see the evolution of it. So it was it was actually something that was present in the 1970s. Uh, there it was a store that kind of became the premier piercing business called The Gauntlet that started in somebody's house uh, in West Hollywood. And it was part of this 1970s gay leather movement. And it was started by Jim Ward, and it's considered the first business of its type in the United States. And so it became this uh, body modification scene uh, that was largely associated with the the gay leather movement in California. That's why I had no idea. Uh-huh. And then so then they opened up shops in uh, New York and Seattle, and apparently there's even one in Paris. 
that kind of started the whole business. They opened a a mail order business for piercing jewelry. uh, And they coined terms like barbell uh, and circular barbell and captive bead ring. Like all of that came from that was this store. specifically a belly button piercing no. shop? It was just no. a piercing. Yeah. Because I guess at, 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 prior to that, I guess folks were just doing it at home. Like if you were getting your ears pierced, you would People do People would it. like go to doctor's office to get their ears pierced. What the hell? Yeah. I, guess it's a, I guess it's a safer environment to yeah. do it than at home. But that's wild. That's yeah. a wild idea to me. Yeah. Uh, it, I guess it used to cost 15 cents to go to the doctor. <laughs> so you could just like show up. And for like a buck fifty, like get a bunch of shit done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, it was interesting to read that research um, because I'd never really thought about like the origins of piercing. I mean, obviously there is a rich history that goes of well course. before, of course. But kind of as we know it today, this idea that you would walk into a store and pick out your jewelry and get it get it done there in the store. I'm dying over here right now because i can't remember the name of the shop that was like at every mall that like oh claire's claire's okay thank you holy shit and they just did ear piercing right uh and it and it was done by people that were not necessarily trained in the art of piercing so where did you go to get your belly button pierced uh it's a place in st louis uh i don't remember what it was called is i think it was in the central west end uh but i went with my friend who had already had hers pierced and i was very nervous and it hurt very badly. I bet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, here's the thing. I, I came home, did, had not told my parents. But I had, I had the bottle of the antiseptic, like, soap or whatever yeah. in my medicine cabinet. And so my mom came to me and was like, what did you get pierced? <laughs> wow. How yeah. rebellious, huh? Yeah. yeah. So I, I cannot think about belly button piercing without thinking about Justin's horrifying story of <laughs> He forced somebody. He, well, he didn't force somebody, <laughs> but like as a special birthday surprise, he uh, blindfolded his girlfriend and drove her to the local, uh, somewhat reputable pawn shop in town to get her belly button pierced. Pawn shop? I'm pretty sure it was a pawn shop. That yeah. also did piercing? I mean, it was like a secondhand music. They mostly sold like secondhand like music instruments and stuff. Wow. Yeah, bud. Uh, so the the phenomenon that we are talking about, uh, where a, a bunch of women would go get their belly button pierced, a lot of articles I read traced it back very specifically to the Aerosmith video where Alicia Silverstone gets her belly button pierced. <laughs> That was uh, that was bracing for me. The idea of the country watching. Do you an know Aerosmith the video I'm video. talking about? Yes, the 1993 video for crying. Is Liv Tyler also in that one? Oh man, there's one that Liv Tyler is in. That I don't think so. No. Okay. I think that's a different one. I think that's crazy. Okay. I think crying is the one where Alicia Silverstone is is a rebellious teen who to show her rebellious spirit goes to get her belly button pierced okay. apparently they used a stand-in in the video <laughs> oh a prop a prop button um but after that that was when like britney spears janet jackson yeah uh christina whose name i can't remember her last name i can't remember Aguilera? Aguilera. are you sorry. kidding really sorry and shakira yeah you, well you you commonly call her ex tina still to this I day i do and that was what i wanted to say yeah 
uh, Britney's 2001 I'm a Slave for You performance at the VMAs. Very the prominent. Snake. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and some of it, I think, was the fashion at the time. There was sure. a lot of like low-waisted jean. So there was a lot and more. High, high-bottomed shirt, I think is what they <laughs> called them. It's a lot of opportunity yeah. to show off the belly button. But I read a lot of articles that talked about how, you know, this movement that started in the kind of the gay leather movement suddenly became this thing that teen girls were doing. Yeah. And it became a very gendered piercing, which is really strange because there aren't a lot of gendered piercings out there. Yeah. Uh, and well, I mean, it's not in- inherently gendered. It's just yeah. like what the fad It was just what the was. fad was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the same articles I read, so I read an article uh, on Vice and one on Racked, and they talked about how this this idea of the belly button ring around the same time of like the lower back tattoo Mm. are now kind of regarded dismissively as like a fad of young girls, you know, that it for whatever reason, like is not as prominent today. Right. Uh, And so it's just kind of an interesting Interesting movement. I mean, there are lots of trends that come and go, but to have one where you are like modifying your body, like become so prominent and then become less prominent, is like kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the what you do when you roll the dice. (laughs) That's true. I'm getting getting a hole. I don't have a hole. Um, Now the teens they just dab. Now they just dab. It's less permanent. (laughs) Less invasive. Unless you are filmed doing it for your television show. And then people think it's like your whole life is dabbing. <laughs> Do you want to know my second thing? Yes. Uh, I'm very excited about my second thing. It was one of those things that I was sure I talked about before. It is peripheral-based rhythm games, which is to say a guitar hero or a oh. rock band. I know, Gosh, right? How have you not talked about this? It's wild. It's like, uh, it, it much like the belly button ring, it was a fad. Uh, it was a fairly... Uh, long and successful fad, but it is for sure gone uh, by the wayside at this point. It has long since gone by the wayside. Um, And I loved it so much. It was like my very, very favorite type of game when these were, when these games were around. Uh, It was, it was super huge. So brief history. uh, I mean, rhythm games were a thing for a while, like, you know, on console or uh, the first sort of like big arcade smash hit that I can think of was DDR, Dance Dance Revolution. You ever play it? You ever dabble in DDR? Have you ever played it? No. See, I played it at an arcade while I was like on some family trip and I was like, I got to have this. So I bought a DDR dance pad for my house uh, and would play it and would have like friends over to play it it was like a big deal for me like being able to say like yeah you could come over to my house and play dance dance revolution if you want to go like, <laughs> i know you're too scared to do it at the mall and let other people see you so why don't you come on over uh <laughs> in japan there was this very successful uh arcade game called beat mania which was essentially uh kind of like how guitar hero looks where you have notes coming at you like on a on a track and you have to but all it was was buttons that you press like these colorful buttons that you press in time with the music uh, it spawned this entire label of music games uh, called Bimani. And in 1999, Bimani uh, released two games in Japanese arcades, which were Guitar Freaks and Drum Mania, which were essentially Guitar Hero, like you use a guitar controller to play notes, and the drumming part of Rock Band. Like there was a rubber drum kit that you would play drum notes on as they came at you on a track. Uh, so in 2005, uh, an American developer called Harmonix, uh, who also made, man, holy shit, Harmonix has provided me with a literally thousands of hours of good times. They made Dance Central, 
uh, and and the weird Fantasia Connect game that I like absolutely adore. Uh, but their first game was Guitar Hero, which was like super inspired by Guitar Freaks. Only it used a licensed Western rock music instead of just sort of like Japanese pop. Uh, and at that point, like the rhythm game genre was like kaput. Like there was Dance Dance Revolution in arcades, but like it wasn't this huge crossover hit that people were buying dance mats and playing at their house. But when Guitar Hero came out, it like absolutely exploded. Like it single-handedly like injected all of this life into the genre. Uh, the first game earned over a billion dollars, like and par- partially that's because the game cost something like 90 bucks because you had to get like the guitar controller or something with it. Uh, and then uh, a few years later, they released Rock Band, which was essentially Guitar Hero, but with drums and bass and singing in it. And that also earned well over a billion dollars. Uh, these games were huge. And I don't think I really rec- I was in the industry at this point. I was working at Joystick when these games came out. Uh, I don't think I recognized just how successful they were. Uh, they, this was like when the Wii came out, which I don't know how much you knew about the, the, the Wii, but the Wii like brought in all these new people playing video oh, games. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like from your perspective, from like the outside, cause you weren't like big into no. games or anything like that, but like this era, 2007, 2008, when the Wii was like really taking off and all of these like, uh, casual games on iPhone and rhythm games were coming out and like bringing a bunch of people in. Did you, were you like seeing that happen from the outside? Did you notice an uptick in like your friends talking about and and playing games and stuff? Yes. It was always like, I know somebody who knows somebody that has one of these and I would, you know, if I happened to be at their house, I would play it once and I would think, oh, this is cool. But I didn't have any like direct link to it. Yeah. And I do remember being kind of surprised, particularly with the Wii, that it seemed like it was older people that were excited about yeah. bowling in their own house. Yeah. And uh, I was like, this is unusual for games, especially like brand new technology. I think Wii Sports is the number one. Well, sell, it came with the Wii, but it was like the number one video game owned by people in the history of mankind. <laughs> yeah. uh, but these, but rhythm games were like bringing a ton of people in. So it was this like hugely exciting era of, uh, you know, expanding gaming demographics in a major way. And uh, a bunch of developers wanted to get on board with that. So like overnight in 2008, which was like the zenith of this genre, uh, uh, rhythm games made up 18% of all video games being made, which is a lot, which is so much. The equipment was so substantial too. That's what kind of blew me away when I first saw it. I was like, oh, this isn't just like a handheld controller. Rock Band came with a guitar, a drum set, and a microphone, and just assumed that you had another guitar that you could play bass on. And I want to say it was around 200 bucks. So it was like the price of a of a video game console, yeah. kind of. Uh, but like, good Lord, I had the best time in college playing these games. Sort of like the way that I was an evangelist, I feel like, for DDR. Uh, guitar Hero came out my freshman year of college, like my first semester of college. And I am not a person who is very good at like meeting new people and like striking up a conversation or forging any kind of like relationship or making plans with new friends or whatever. But Guitar Hero was kind of like everybody was talking about it and I had it. And so I could be and I had a bunch of people just like 
that I'd talk about the game with and be like, you want to come over and play it? And I made a lot of friends in my freshman year of college <laughs> because of that. Uh, even more so when Rock Band came out, because Rock Band wasn't just like, hey, come check out this guitar that you can play with music. It was like, hey, I'm having a party now with like all of these different songs. Uh, we had a radio show that I played the game that me and uh, my buddies played the game for, for like one of our last episodes that we did for our college radio show. Uh, and I got in a little bit of trouble because I was doing Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. And I was singing and I said, fucking, I forgot to mute that particular word, which they don't like that word on the radio. Um, so this was like a huge thing for me. Like I played it constantly. I played it by myself. I got pretty good at drumming on rock band drums. <laughs> uh, but overnight, like it blew up uh, the bad way. Like a bomb blows up and then isn't there anymore. <laughs> 2008 was the Zenith, right? And uh, games sold over uh, one and a half billion bucks in 2008. These, these rhythm games did. Uh, and then in 2009, that number was halved it was down to like 750,000 for the entire like genre. Uh, and then there were these huge games. Harmonix made this game called Beatles Rock Band, which I don't know if I've ever shown you, is remarkable because it's like all Beatles music and that's cool, but they also stylistically recreate the trajectory of the Beatles' whole career. Oh, so you like watch yeah. them go from, you know, Hard Day's Night all the way through like Sgt. Pepper and like some of the trippier songs like you go on these weird dream sequence trips but like you follow them all the way to the rooftop concert and uh, there's these like really gorgeous cut scenes like bridging every it is a incredible game best game they ever made uh and it sold like half of its expected units so like at that point like people kind of had yeah. all the stuff that they wanted from this genre and they weren't really that interested in it uh, anymore. Also, you know, after 2008, there was a bit of a recession. So people weren't as willing to pay yeah. $200 for a drum controller anymore. Um, so by the time like 2013 rolled around, like the whole genre that again was making up for a fifth of all video games released was more or less kaput. Uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of that. I just like, I really harbor a deep affection for these games, partially because like uh, they were really fun and I they were a, a refreshing change of pace from like other games that were being released at the time. Like I was kind of done with first person shooters and stuff like that. Uh, but they also like allowed me to meet new people and have parties and make friends. But also the first Guitar Hero game and really that whole series enlightened me to a lot of classic rock that like I didn't know shit about because I thought the music my dad likes sucks shit. Yeah. Uh, like I, I remember playing a song with my friends like when one of the Guitar Hero games came out and I was like, this slaps. Who is this? And they're like, oh, this is a uh, Steely Dan. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no way oh. uh yeah it was a it was an eye-opening experience but like there's a lot of classic rock music that i only know about because of guitar here because i just did not care about it or listen to it before that's fascinating before then. yeah it's great games i still i maybe it'll come back probably not maybe we still have it in the garage we if still it does. do have my rock band set <laughs> in the garage i would be blown away if that still works um uh, do you want to know what our friends at home are talking about? Yes. Okay, I only pulled one submission from our friends at home because it's a very powerful one. It's okay. sent in by Marina who says, this wonderful website lets you mash up popular songs from 2007 and I cannot stop laughing. I didn't know this at first, so when I accidentally mashed 99 Problems with Hey There Delilah, my third eye was opened and I truly ascended. <laughs> I hope you get as much joy out of this as I have. Thank you to whoever bestowed this gift unto the universe. I'm going to see if I can get it working on my phone. Oh, it does work on my phone. Hold what on. is this website? It is called The Magic 
iPod.com. All one word, themagicipod.com. Let me see if I can put 99 problems on Hey There, Delilah. So it just takes the music of one and puts the lyrics of the other over it? Uh, it, it does more than that. It, it actually blends the two together. Uh, let me see if there's another. Let's see what we can put country grammar on. Oh, Sugar, We're Going Down Swinging by Fallout Boy. <laughs> That's delightful. Wow. So good. That's, That's themagicipod.com. Thank you, Marina. I'm going to spend my whole day doing this now. Uh, thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Yeah, thank you, Maximum Fun. If you are interested in finding some new great podcasts, I would encourage you to go to MaximumFun.org and check out all of the great shows on that website and or. What's <laughs> on that web? Click on the web address. And or the network when you're surfing the World Wide Web. Uh, yeah. Also, hey, register to vote. Go to vote.gov and uh, support Black Lives Matter. We'll have links to that and how you can give to help out folks like, for instance, with the uh, Milwaukee Freedom Fund, who is supporting protesters in Kenosha and, uh, you know, all over because there's lots of folks who could use some help right now. Um, well, we've come to the end of another show. Time to mop, Time to get out the broom and mop to clean up the mess we made. Doing the show? What kind of show do we do? Well, people don't know this. They only hear our voices. They don't see all the wacky, zany prop comedy that we do. At the beginning of every show, I put a flag in a pile of GAC, and Griffin has to find it before we finish recording. A lot of GAC talk this up. Yeah. What's, what's the harm? A lot of GAC chat. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.